Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Blister Podcast, Gear 30. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. It seems like everyone who hasn't been to Alaska dreams of going, and those who have been dream of going back. So today we're talking about spring skiing and biking in Alaska with Eric Helmbricht, the owner of Powderhound Ski, Bike, and Paddle Shop in Girdwood, AK. Eric and I talk a bit about some of the inbounds and touring gear that he thinks works particularly well in Alaska's maritime snowpack and unique terrain, and then he and I also discuss some of the boots and bindings that are coming out next year. Then, Eric provides a bit of beta on spring skiing in Alaska, and we wrap up with some talk about the quickly growing mountain bike scene around Girdwood and Anchorage. And so let's just go ahead and jump right in to some ski, bike, and gear talk with Powderhound's Eric Helmbricht. Eric, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing very well. Uh, Wait, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to have this conversation because I know that you are actually trying to mobilize and go get out on uh, to do some ski touring, I believe. Do I have that right? That's correct. Yeah, we got a couple nights booked at a hut these next few days. Where uh, where about are you headed? Uh, we're headed south of Anchorage, about 90 miles, and uh, it's actually a real accessible hut called Manitoba, but uh, the terrain that you can access there is really nice. Well, that's uh, very relevant given that one of the key things that I wanted to talk with you about today was uh, spring ski season and and ski touring in in Alaska. And so, uh, yeah, um, we'll talk about it and then you'll get to go do it. Um, But before we go down that road, I did want to ask you, you are a shop owner in Girdwood, Alaska. Talk to me a little bit about when and why you started Powderhound. Well, I guess we can start with, I went, I moved down to Colorado for university and uh, ended up working at a boot shop afterwards in Vail, Colorado, which was a great way to kind of cut my teeth. And there was, there was a lot of good boot fitting going on down there. Um, just based on the amount of clients you can see in a day. And so when I moved back up to Alaska, um, trying to kind of search out better terrain, uh, bigger mountains, everything from summer hunting and fishing all the way through the winter sports. But uh, as, as soon as I came up here, I realized, holy cow, there's no boot specialists in Alaska. I mean, there's hmm. shops that sell ski boots, but there's no one that really focuses on it. And so that's Really what got me thinking, I was hand tuning for a small shop here in Girdwood and doing some boot fitting and uh, really just kind of after hearing what people were talking about and all the issues and, you know, that's the most fun part about our job is solving issues that people have so they can enjoy the sport more. Hmm. So I guess that's kind of what got me cranking and then randomly the, the shop that used to be in town here called World Cup Sports, that was kind of the main shop down in Girdwood for 15 years and I heard they were getting ready to sell or close their doors. And so one thing led to another and found a tiny little space that was who knew if it was going to be big enough or not. But we started there, um, adopted the manager from World Cup. His name is Corey Anderson. He's still with us today, six years later. Hmm. And uh, it's been a fun go at it. But but since then, we've been able to double our floor space and um, really amp up our, our tuning and rentals and boot fitting even more so. So it's, um, yeah, I would say that's a, an answer to that question, just boot fitting in general. Saw a gap in the market. And when did you start Powderhound? Uh, back in 2012. 2012. Okay. That's got to be an interesting question. The like, we're not sure if this space is big enough but we're still going to go ahead and commit to a space that might not be big enough just for the sake of getting started. Those seem like difficult logistical decisions. Oh, it was definitely uh, kind of off and on. It was literally the only space available in town. Okay. Thankfully, it was ski in, ski out. So we've been very lucky that way, but uh, it was tiny. What I ended up doing was buying a uh, 24-foot enclosed trailer to hold inventory that we couldn't <laughs> fit in the space. And it was just a tiny little lock on the door. There's, you know, anyone could have towed it away at any moment. But 
Um, yeah. So that's how things got rolling. So say more about the ski in and ski out aspect of, of powder hound. Um, you guys are awfully close to Alieska, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're located right on the magic carpet at the base of the mountain. Um, we're pretty much the only private property not owned by the resort that's touching the resort. And so, uh, it's pretty, pretty sweet. The new space we moved into last year, um, is quite a bit bigger, better visibility and, uh, yeah, just holds more room for all of our programs that we offer. Okay. Given that sort of prime location at the base, I imagine you guys get a lot of locals rolling through there, but I would also suspect you see a pretty high percentage of tourists coming in and destination folks coming in. You know, it's it depends on the season. Like this year we had a, a decent snow year, especially on the resort and uh and so, you know, with a lot of the U.S. not having the best snow, we saw a lot more tourism coming up. Um, we also had some big, um, we had the Western Regional Championships up here for racing, and, and uh, that brought a lot of people up. And it really just, you know, the heli program, everything around does draw people in the spring, and the spring is really when it's all focused on. We don't get too much tourism over Christmas like a lot of other places do. But um, so, you know, early season, it's our core core base of customers, locals. We see the same people every week. And then you've got um, springtime comes around and, you know, I'd say maybe uh, 20% in the winter might be, might be visitors, but it, that changes uh, more or less depending on the snow. And as you and I were just saying, things are starting to fire up around the Girdwood area. It sounds like um, spring, spring skiing and touring in AK. Oh yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we're kind of leading into the, the tail end of the, the primo ski season, uh, as far as backcountry goes, it's still good. I mean, I'm looking out the window right now at probably another maybe six to eight inches on the resort this morning, but really, I mean, that's the, the elevations where the snow lines at right now is perfect for Turnigan pass and Thompson pass and anything in the area. So one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past there is a lot about Alaska's terrain and about Alaska's particular snowpack uh, that means that some equipment that might be quite popular in other areas just aren't going to work as well uh, where you guys are. And as a shop owner who is selling this stuff uh, or having to deal with warranty issues and the rest, I was particularly interested in hearing you talk about I mean, I guess I'd be curious to hear you talk about both inbound gear and AT, but just some of the stuff that, given where you are, um, a few products that you think have been kind of stand out in how well they work, either in the terrain or in AK's snowpack. Yeah, so I, I mean, the snowpack, we'll start there. It's it's maritime full on. Like, it's, it rains down low a lot, but the snow up high is spectacular. It sticks to steep pitches. Um, just that wet cement snow is what, what we love because it opens up the terrain we want to ski. Mm-hmm. Uh, early season, we do have some lighter storms. And I've, I've skied blower pow at 1030 at night down to a tent in April before um, because the daylight's so long. So we, we do get those lighter storms, but the majority of what we get is the, the warmer 30-degree snow. And, uh, and so you do have to have certain types of skis. And, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're just tromping around in some, some powdery backcountry conditions, skiing trees and more mellow slopes, then, you know, you can get away with some of the skis that you'll see being a lot more popular in say Colorado. But when you get up to the steeper terrain, a little bit heavier snow, um, and same with inbounds, you know, you want a bit of a burlier ski, uh, especially for higher speeds. So that's one thing that's kind of always a conversation we have with customers is they'll read gear reviews that are tested in Utah and Colorado. And, and it's always kind of funny. You have to put it in perspective and it's like, well, you know, if you're going to ski champagne powder with it, that's a fantastic ski that you're asking for. But the reason you don't see it on our ski wall is because we know what skis best up here. And that's what we want to bring to our customer base so they can have the most fun um, possible mm-hmm. in the backcountry or on the resort. So, you know, there's gear like the, what we've done really well with the last couple of years is the Nordica Enforcer lineup. 
and uh, simply because of the the tip rocker shape on there and the sheet of metal, it's it's not only a fun shape, but it, it's able to bust through the cruddy stuff, which a lot of time our off trail on the resort is very cruddy, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's fun, steep, but you get that choppy mashed potato snow, and you need a ski that can handle it. Otherwise, you get thrown around. So I'd say that, you know, that's been a hot ski on a resort. In the backcountry, it's a little different because you're not, hopefully not skiing up chopped up snow. That's a nice thing about being up here. There's not too many folks in the backcountry. Um, it's growing every year, but you're not skiing over too many lines usually. Yep. So so the, the lighter weight, um, softer skis, we still, you know, we're we're a downhill driven shop. So as much as we want to enjoy the uphill, we still think it's very important to enjoy your time skiing, which is why everyone gets most people um, that we set up get in the backcountry because they want fresh lines and uh, and maybe to get some exercise as well. So setting them up on skis like one that we did really well with this year was the Atomic Backland 109. Yep. And so that we find that you know I think in in other states you might see a lot of the 100 or 90 underfoot to 100 as a a good everyday backcountry tool. Um, I think we can both agree on the fact that we don't need 120 underfoot for the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Not that you can't ski it, but uh, it tends to be a little overkill for the U.S. Japan's a whole nother story. Yeah, from what I hear, one day I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta just uh, hide in Paul Forward's luggage since yeah. <laughs> since we we both do really. I mean, yeah, just yeah. just uh, figure out how to ride paul's coattails in his perpetual ak to japan uh you know oh, i know that rock star that's all that rock star lifestyle he leads i know it's funny we always see him before and after every trip getting him set up on whatever gear that's he's taking or bringing back that needs fixing or whatever it is and uh it's fun to hear his stories through him but one day i'd certainly like to check it out on my own <laughs> yeah but yeah so so yeah as far as backcountry skis i i you know that type of ski it's not the ultralight it's not the you know super carbon filled ski although we do like those for certain things like in the spring when we're skiing a lot of corn there's no reason to have a 110 underfoot ski if if you're truly skiing spring corn and you're going to be approaching things most likely it's going to be real firm snow by the time you know before you get to the pitch otherwise it gets pretty mushy up top uh, when it is good to go um you want something that is a little bit narrower, but you still don't want to go to something that's real soft and going to ping off of things because no matter what, you might be skiing a coulard um, that has a good good consistency of snow in it, but you get to the bottom and it's just all that rubbish run out that any 30 to 50 degree slope is going to have in a, a tight area there. So, So has there been a kind of standout touring ski in that maybe 90 underfoot to 95 underfoot anything that you guys have liked in particular you know it's funny we don't we don't carry too many in that range you know I, uh, as far as the lightweight because what we're mostly pushing is the the 100 plus yep um, backcountry skis but we are noticing people looking for a quiver now you know we've been open yep. six years we've sold people there even for resorts say an all-mountain ski well now they're looking and maybe a powder ski well now they're looking for the next ski to buy. So they are looking at the narrower skis now. And I think that's a trend in the, the ski industry from what I've heard from other shop owners. But, um, I would say, you know, the Icelandic skis I've favored in the past in the back country, just because they, they've got a top sheet that sheds a lot of snow hmm. and, uh, with wet snow, you, you look down a lot of times and you're lugging up, you know, pounds of snow on your skis. And so they have a, a top sheet that that sheds it nice. I think they call it the carbonium top sheet, whatever name they decide was appropriate for it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, like, um, the nomad series, the 95 is a, a great ski. Um, I can't say that we've moved a lot of those skis. Um, we did more than nomad one Oh five lights is going to be kind of in that range, which funny enough, uh, measures the ones on our wall measure about 111 underfoot. Yeah. So, it's kind of kind of an interesting <clears throat> ski that's you know small boutique brands i really like the the brand itself and the skis hold up incredibly um as far as another 
lightweight ski or you know backcountry ski in that realm i'd say it sticks with the the backland series and the 102 you know i'd see mm-hmm. that's like more of the narrow side that we see people going to is that just around 100 and i don't know I, you know i think it was mostly a price point thing um early season with those backlands but we reordered several times and we are sold out again of all mm-hmm. of them uh, huh. just because they they hold up a lot of, you know, a few of the guys in the shop are on them. So that's always an easy way to sell something, you know, if it's good enough for the shop guy, you yep. know, why not? Going back for a second to the enforcers that you mentioned for inbounds duty. I, I mean, I'm going to assume we're going to, you're talking specifically about the enforcer 100 and maybe the enforcer 110, but I was curious, are you, is it, is it all like, yeah, most of the volume, we're sending people out on that Enforcer 100 all the time, or are you guys actually putting people on a lot of 110s at Alieska? You know, before the 110 came out, the 100 was a huge success for us, and uh, it's more we've never sold a ski like that uh, in our history at Norivai and in the other shops I've worked at. But the 110 came out, and one, I would say – a high percentage of customers that bought the 100 came in and bought the 110. Um, they, you know, a lot of the 100 customers had patrons from us from years in the past, and they, that's where they fell in love with that kind of tip shape and uh, the Nordica brand. And then, you know, we we're like, hey, you know, you want to all mountain ski with that same performance, a little better edge contact, go with the 100. And uh, and then the 110 is an easy sell. You get them out on it for a couple of turns, and they'll call and say, hey, mount me up a pair. And they'll have it ready by the time they get down from skiing. So it's it's the the entire the tail's a little you know a bit different on the 110, which makes it a little more smeary and surfy and playful if you want it to be. But literally, I'll see guys out there on the hard you know they've got a quiver of skis. I know their quiver, and they're out there on days that are you know firmer than you would think for a 110, and just loving it. And I'll be mm-hmm. at the brewery down the road and. <laughs> people approach me, customers approach me and say, Oh my God, thank you so much for selling me that 110. It's literally the best carving ski I've ever been on. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you should try the 93, you know, <laughs> so I was <laughs> so taking opportunity, right? So, <laughs> huh. so I, I do know people that have all three of them as well. So it's, um, just the whole lineup really, but the 110 sold very well. We've been selling next year's graphic for a couple months now. And, mm-hmm. um, just not being shy on reorders because I know they're going to move. What one or two skis did you personally put the most time on this this season? I uh, definitely the one ten enforcer, and then um, you know my backcountry tool that I, I've really enjoyed for most days. I can't say all days, but most days is the Vocal one hundred eight. Huh. Uh, early early season trees here. It's not a ski that I expected to love as much as I do. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of full rocker skis, um, but it is the only one on our wall that you'll see with full rocker and, you know, it serves its purpose for you get it on edge and you can get those big arcing lines down open faces. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mounted the skis up a couple centimeters for the quick turn areas. I'm I'm probably skiing a size. I, I could probably ski the 181. I'm on the 189s and early season trees and stuff. If you, put a couple centimeters forward on that, you can really maneuver it nicely. So, you know, that's a ski that I spend most of the time on in the backcountry, whether it's sled skiing or touring. And then the, um, the resort, I would say that one is probably the majority of it. However, um, for a narrower ski, I like to try out the gamut of carving, carving skis we demo, but, um, you know, I, I had a really good time on the bonafide, the blizzard bonafide. Mm-hmm. That's, kind of my as narrow as I like to go for most days unless I'm on an actual slalom or carving ski I want to pick your brain about AT boots because I'm currently cycling through a a handful of new boots for next season so uh either talk to me about some of the 1819 boots that you've been in that you're intrigued by and if you don't feel like doing that I'll also ask you about what one or two AT boots did you guys move the most or like the most uh, from this from this past season? Well, 
I'm looking forward to a few boots, but uh, this past season, the new Mistrale RS kicked butt for us as I knew it would. It has in the past, but the new design, it's a little bit trickier as far as getting on. You know, you don't have that full opening tongue, but the work that we've been able to do on it, the, the seems like that newer plastic stretches and holds way better than the older Mistrale and so you can punch it super quick. Customers are, you know, itching to get out or only have a little bit of time or you're doing the fit and say, hold on, let me just go move your six toe out a little bit. And, uh, and you don't have to tell them to come back or go get lunch or anything. Just, just wait a couple minutes. It'll be ready, <laughs> which that, that really impressed me. And I like Scarpa a lot because as a shop owner, it's kind of nice not to have a different color or um, tiny little graphic update every year. So that we have to blow out the boots at a cheaper price, say we don't sell a pair or two of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing. I'll, I'll give Scarf a lot of props for that because they'll carry a boot for four or five years without changing much. And uh, and it continues to still be our, our best-selling backcountry boot. Hmm. So um, I think that says a lot about the company. And uh, besides that, um, this year the, the Hawks Ultra XTD. Mm-hmm. You know, we sold, I've never seen us sell so many of one kind of boot as the Atomic Hawks Ultra and from 80 to 130 flex. But that XTD, I think a lot of customers that have the Hawks Ultra wanted the same fit and feel. So they got the XTD. Um, a lot of people requesting it. The softer plastic was a little bit interesting um, to deal with at times, but I, I was impressed with that boot. You know? Say more about the softer plastic. Uh, we saw, you know, a couple things come in that were, you know, people are jamming them into a, a stiff marker alpine binding, you know, they're putting them in a, a jester uh -huh. and we saw, you know, we saw the heels get eaten up a little bit on a pair or two, but, um, it's nothing they, you know, they were afraid to remedy. It's, they, they treat us great at Atomic. So, hmm. um. But, but that is something worth mentioning, you know, it's like, this is a, a nice lightweight boot and the custom plastic is phenomenal as far as what we've seen compared to other, you know, shell molding boots where you can heat the whole thing up and stick a foot in it. Um, going from the out of the box fit to, you almost kind of need to heat them up unless they've got a very narrow foot. Mm -hmm. Um, but the afterwards, you know, the, the after effects are, are really nice from, from that and sharing that into the backcountry scene, it's hard to find a backcountry boot that has a high volume this year. Next year changes, but um, this year, it, you know, it's always good to be able to say, "Hey, you know what? Let me just cook this for you with your foot in it." If you don't like it afterwards, it's not your boot. You know, yep. we can recook it, and the plastic rebounds. That's that's one of my favorite parts about the boot. And by the way, I was literally just skiing the XTD one thirty again yesterday. Um, because I'm currently involved in a personal, uh, like I've become incredibly obsessive compulsive about the Hawks XTD 130 versus the new Technica Zero G uh, Tour Pro. Um, and so mm -hmm. I've been just going literally skiing every day in the one boot and then the other and then back to the other boot and just ABC, you know, I, I actually skied the XTD 130 in a new shell. And like you say, yeah, it's a relatively narrow toe box um, and a pretty snug heel, which I actually really liked. But again, all of that's kind of irrelevant when any customer can just shove their foot in it, cook it, and you just end up with a custom shell. So there's no reason to really even comment too much on too much in like how is the out of the box fit it's like it doesn't matter go to the shop try it on have them heat mold the shell you know there you go you'll have your answer i'm skiing the 130 hawks ultra for a resort boot this year and i put it on out of the box and just knowing that the plastic is going to mold is the reason i got it because i've got some bone spurs and things mm -hmm. from over the years that uh you know they don't take too kindly to narrow boots and shoved my foot in that and i was like holy cow it's like perfect right out after the cook not yep. out of the box, but after the cook. So you're jumping on the lightweight inbounds boot bandwagon. Kind of, sort of. I haven't had, you know, I'd like to go fast and I haven't had any times where it was like, whoa, I don't know about the feel of having this boot being so light. And maybe it's uh, that I'm getting older now and just 
like in the ease of a lighter boot, but, um, you know, by no means do I favor a lightweight backcountry type boot inbounds. For some reason, a lightweight Alpine boot didn't bother me. Huh. Interesting. So I'm, I'm curious to see what you think about that zero G that's coming out uh, next year though. Have you, have you tried it on, had it out at all? I have not skied it. I've had it on my foot. I'm very excited about it. Um, but curious to see, and I like to me that doesn't even seem like a a comparable boot to the XTD. Not ski wise, I think ski wise it might be, um, but tour wise and everything around it, the you know it's it's like a different category for what we're going to sell it to. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can correct me on that before we get them on the shelf. I should be a little careful here because I want more time, but uh, I'm pretty blown away so far. I think it is a direct competitor to the XTD 130. The part that I don't get down with is I still kind of want to hold off on this trend where people are like, oh my God, I just heard the XTD or the Zero G are fantastic. That's going to be my only boot. And like the guys at Blister <laughs> said, it, I get to go ski that now all the time. And it's like, that's not what I'm saying. I just think people need to slow down and take a breath and understand that we're talking about boots that are at ludicrously lightweights. Ludicrously lightweights. It's insane. That zero G that I'm skiing in, in a 26.5 weighs 13.10 grams. And and it's insane. And it's amazing. But this idea then that we just are suddenly, I mean, when I go, when I'm skiing different places, I'm seeing people skiing in bounds in all these tech bindings and all these super light boots. And that's, that's cool. I mean, ski whatever you want. Just don't be mad if this stuff starts breaking you know? Um, so I don't know. I still have, I feel like that caveat is important to talk about just given what I see people skiing in all the time, but as a straight up touring boot. Yeah. I think they are direct competitors. That's, that's impressive. They both walk really nicely. I frankly think that zero G tour pro might walk even better. But for me personally, I don't care. They both walk great. And that's not where I'm going to personally, where I would end up basing my decision. I think where I'm at is starting to tease out differences in the, um, in their flex pattern. That's a little bit different. And that's kind of become my weird obsession lately is just thinking about and understanding how all these lightweight boots flex, right? Some start kind of as walls at the top. Others let you get really deep into the flex of the boot before they start like giving you any resistance at all. So I think honestly, that's where a number of the boots that I'm spending time in, those start to become the biggest differentiators. I could see that for sure. You know, I'm kind of a snob about liners too. And that's a Mm. big thing that we see happen with these lightweight, real thin liners where you can pretty much feel your bones hitting plastic. Yep. Out of the box, you know, they're not even packed in yet. And uh, that, I think to me, that that makes a whole different flex feel too. I'll throw uh, Pro Tour Intuition in it and it's going to have a totally different feel on the flex. And as far as, you know, where the where it stiffens up, that doesn't change too much. But a lot of times you're not driving as, as hard as you could because you're feeling every piece of plastic on your shin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, that's just from my experiences. But I've also been kind of wowed at how some lighter weight liners do perform and ski well compared to it. Cause I've, I've gone back to, to the stock liners from intuitions, um, this year and just been kind of like, wow, okay. It's not maybe as cushy around the foot or filled in, but as far as the ski performance goes, it's great. Is there anything more specific you want to say on that front? Like whose liners you particularly like or if you were going to buy a boot for yourself and you were comparing the liners in a bunch of these light boots, what things are you looking for or would want to see where you're like, oh, I like the look of this or I like the feel of this? You know, any type of foam that that remembers shape. Um, and, you know, every boot will say, oh, a custom molding liner. Well, you add heat to anything with foam and it's going to, remember not it's going to mold out or pack in whatever you want to call it 
Um, the liners that have any sort of ultralong foam in them is going to be our favorite. You know, they actually hold and, you know, people that have, you know, bigger ankle bones or mm -hmm. issues around the foot that those tend to do the best and you can pat around them when you're molding to remember that shape. Um, we do intuitions more than I ever thought we would. Um, the amount that we can stock and sell through in a year is impressive to me. And um, I think I'm not sure if that was a, a built foundation around here from previous shops that, you know, kind of built up that brand um, because it is a small community. But uh, a lot of people will, will call from around the state to say, hey, just making sure you got this in, our, in my size. I'm coming down for a four to six hour drive. I want to get some intuitions molded. Hmm. And it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, for sure. Come on in. We'll put your name on them. So, um, you know, all of us in the shop, for the most part, ski intuitions, either in our back contributor, Alpine or both, um, different versions of it, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it, it still actually surprises me how many people prefer to tour in the power up and, and not in a negative way. It's usually the people that are skiing steep spines as their general day in the backcountry. And mm -hmm. those are the people that they're like, you know what, I'm in a fitness level. I don't need to get all the movement out of my shell. I just want it to feel like a ski boot on the way down. And yep. they definitely do when you put that wrap in there. Before we get in and maybe talk a little bit more about spring skiing in AK, um, any other particular products that you want to talk about, either in terms of because you love them in terms of durability or you love their kind of bang for the buck? Well, let's talk about bindings then first. Yeah. Um, the Kingpin, I think, which has been a hit all over, um, just flies off the shelf. We've been, unfortunately, been sold out for like a month of Kingpins without the ability to get more. Um, we're an Evo partner, so thankfully we've been able to order them through Evo but and take care of customers, but it's been it's been kind of a frustrating deal. Um, a couple of reasons that I've found that binding attractive. Yeah, it's a little bit heavier. But like I said, the people that are, are skiing avidly around here don't mind a little bit of extra weight if it's going to mm -hmm. give them a little more confidence on the way down. I particularly noticed that the weight uh, on the heel of the ski makes steeper kick turns a lot easier and quicker. Hmm. And that was something that jumped out to me right away. Rather than having to kick your ski back, float it around and turn, it's kind of just a more immediate response to having a heavier tail on the ski. So I think that's that's one thing I've used to sell that binding and the fact that it is a confidence builder. I don't know. Do you like the kingpin? Have you skied it? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I was on the record, uh, I guess it's been a few years now, but basically just said this is the first AT binding I didn't hate. Um, <laughs> I think I remember that actually. Yeah. And, um, no, I mean that, that then became, I mean, that was it for me. And, you know, yeah, there are other reasons. Um, you know, we always talk about like the G3 ion we think has the best, easiest to use risers, um, still of any AT binding we've been on, but getting to go into a pin binding that has the power transmission of a king pin, um, and we did a test, right? We took five of the exact same ski, bolted these different pin bindings, tech bindings on them, and the kingpin just blew everything away. So, yeah, I've been on that front for a few years now. Now, of course, we've got the tecton coming in, and now, of course, we have this shift binding coming in. So <laughs> I think the, the the biggest thing to say from my point of view is it, it is an unbelievable time to be backcountry skiing it is crazy how good the the boot options and binding options etc are getting and so that's i think kind of my biggest punchline you know we can we can talk about and tease out differences in terms of some of these bindings and they, there are differences i don't buy this like ah, it's all just the same whatever um but shit is getting really good and interesting that's kind of my big take i guess yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's super fun. I'm I'm excited about the shift, and I know everybody is. But we've been pre-selling them uh, like like hotcakes, and 
just because I, I have a feeling, even though we ordered a bunch of them, that they are going to sell out before Christmas. So if we can get add a few on that are prepaid, that's best way to do it. And um, I don't necessarily, I mean, I've, I've been on this back and forth. I haven't been able to ski the shift and I really look forward to, but I haven't been able to figure out, okay, is the shift going to re- you know, be a competitor with the kingpin because what, what I see the shift doing is eliminating plate touring bindings that like the Baron, you know, Mm -hmm. gone with the Baron or Duke. I mean, it's still a binding for that customer, but you know, and not all boots have tech inserts yet. Right. However, I have a feeling that with the way things are moving, that shift is going to replace a lot of that type of customer or that type of binding yep um the kingpin still you know maybe it will maybe it won't from the price point i've heard the shift is coming out at that's going to be impressive to to see and a lot easier on people's pocketbooks yep so um the ion though is is another one that you know i actually just started skiing that binding this year on a a narrower ski for some firm days we had and um, like you said, the risers are incredible and, you know, it actually skis well. It's, it's scary to me to go back to a pin binding on the heel after skiing the kingpin because I used to ski Dina Fitz only. And, uh, that was before the whole revolution of everybody making pin bindings. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, G3's new product coming out too next year. So it's, that's kind of the two, two favorites I have as far as being able to move off the wall, but, I'd say, I'd say it's going to be really fun to see what happens with the shift and who comes at the shift with another option. That's going to be yep. fun. Yeah, and again, I mean, what you know, I'm actually just about to start putting time in the Tecton, um, but our other reviewers, we've had m- multiple people in it, kind of for most of the season, and they just keep saying like, you know, but the Tecton ski's great too. And so I honestly think that's going to be, you know, specifically in that category of it's kind of shift kingpin and tecton. And it's going to be very interesting to see where customers spend their money, uh, you know, on those three. I think, I think the ion is still has kind of its clear customer. And then G3 obviously coming out with this Zed. Um, that's going to like 345 grams, you know, that's going to be compelling to like a different category, I think, of folks. So again, I think, frankly, where either people are going to be really confused or they're going to be super psyched because they're now able to get exactly what they are looking for, you know? Um, yeah. And I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. But um yeah, it sure makes it tough on buyers. I'll tell you that much. It's or on, hmm. you know, as a shop, you <laughs> used to be well when that G three came out. It was like, oh, now we have three models of tech bindings on the wall. Yeah, um, you know the the radical STFT and now a G three ion, cool. And then all of a sudden, now it's with the marker Alpine coming out and multiple versions of the ion and you know, all different types of tech bindings and different realms, you know, stiffnesses and, and, um, and whatnot. So it's, it definitely, I think we have now as many tech bindings to offer as we do Alpine bindings, which blows me away. And, uh, the new Salmon bind tech binding, um, has been kind of a, the, the MTN was impressive to us this year, just the simplicity of it. And people in Alaska like simplicity. And I think that was a big reason we sold out of it a couple of times. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff. Um, okay. It's spring. You're about to go ski touring. I want to talk just a little bit. Um, because again, I think AK is a place, you know, it's, it's kind of Mecca and everybody dreams of going there, but I don't know that a lot of people, know all that much about it. So let's start with ski and then maybe we can talk a bit about biking in Alaska. But on the ski touring front, um, just some basics. Um, Sounds like uh, April is a good time. April, mid-April is usually a good time to be yeah, that's I'd say I'd say starting beginning of April is it's when it's really getting great. You know, you've got good snowpack, long hours. A lot of people come up in March. March can be a phenomenal month as well. It tends to be a little bit snowier. 
Um, so if you're looking to maybe score some some more fresh type snow, but um, April, you're getting like last week is incredible. We were up at a zone around the area, and you know once we got up, it was it was full on freeze thaw corn uh, is what I was expecting. You know we had to to wait for things to thaw out before a little bit before we could even get up to uh, where we were going on the sleds. But we got up to about 4,000, 4,500 feet, and it was cold winter snow and 52 degrees at the truck. And wow. it was it was pretty incredible. And so there's a lot of that type of stuff mid-April where you're not going to find that kind of fun differences in March where you can get corn and you can get cold pow still. You just got to search it out. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'd say, I'd say April's a good time. For sure. Um, de- definitely one big thing a lot of people make mistakes up here is they'll come up for five days. Mm-hmm. Well, if if you potentially want to sit and play cards in the rain for four days and see yep. one day, that's a great amount of time to come up. But if uh, if you're real serious about getting out there and experiencing it, block off 10 days minimum. And that allows you to kind of mobilize and go elsewhere if one zone is getting a little wet. The other one might be getting snow or bluebird even. So that's, you know, that's, that's the biggest advice. And that goes with summer too in Alaska. Alaska is not the size of most states. There's, there's huge weather patterns that move through here and you can get in a a blue hole for the whole time you're here or you'll never even see the sun. Um, And so you need to give yourself time to, I think the biggest thing is to be able to move, you know, Hmm. if you plan on staying in one spot, you better be hoping to get real lucky because it can change quick and it can lock in for weeks as well so even just like a couple hours north of girdwood you've got a whole different snowpack and um in zone that you know it's more like rocky mountain skiing up at hatcher pass it's it's phenomenal but you know i I can say i haven't been up there much this year just because it's been you know decent around here it's Uh nice to have the option though so talk a little bit about a few of the um classic zones. it really just depends on the storm cycles and how they land um, Hatcher Pass is more of a continental snowpack, and mm-hmm. so you see a lot more common slides there, whereas the Maritime Snowpack and Turnigan Pass, two hours south of Hatcher, uh, is is where we get that kind of that glue, the stuff that sticks to the steep spines, and you can ski that uh, a lot more uh, commonly than you, you could in Hatcher. And not to say you can't get that up there, um, but it's more of the, the, even just the mountains in the summer when you're hiking around, you've got a lot of rainforest type mountains where we are in Girdwood and then just just uh it's really not that far as a crow flies north you've got a whole nother type of rocky mountain system and then and then over in Valdez I mean if you're looking for everybody's heard of Valdez if if they like backcountry or big Mm -hmm. mountain skiing and um, Thompson Pass is kind of the the spring mecca as far as what everyone thinks about it. it's like okay how can i put aside a week to go to valdez to drive over and how can i play it to where i can wait for the weather and then just go mm-hmm. um, and that's a lot harder from out of state up here it's like hey it looks like next week's going to be good let's do valdez mm-hmm. and, and jump in the rv and go and that's it's kind of cool it's um you know the lower 48 brings up a ton of tourists for this event or the i should say the event brings up a ton of tourists from the lower 48 it's called tailgate alaska a lot of mm-hmm. people have heard of it um if you haven't if you like a party with you know tracked out backcountry skiing that's definitely the place and it's <laughs> it's uh, by no means a bad time it is it's a blast and you're in these mountains it's like a, a city of rvs and people there for all the same purpose they like skiing and partying and and everything else but when the the real skiing gets good is on either end of tailgate um, before and after it and hopefully you get a storm cycle after to kind of smooth out all the tracks but but that is kind of the mecca in april it's like all right when can we get over there um turnigan pass is phenomenal but i think it's just the fact of being somewhere different and being un you know unplugged from society turnigan's great because it's 20 minutes down the road and Mm -hmm. you can go I've skied a lap in the morning before opening the shop, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that's a a fun thing to be able to do. But when you can unplug and kind of turn the phones off and just live like you're in the woods, that's the dream for a lot of people up here. Are you seeing the, the people that are coming into your shop from out of state? 
Do you feel like they are becoming like more informed about what they're getting into, or is it still people that are like, "Hey, we're here. We're we really um, don't know what we're getting into. What kind of advice and recommendations do you have for us?" I'd say definitely more informed. I think that just goes goes across the country. People are getting more informed about backcountry as it grows in popularity and and uh, and so they're studying it. They're you know I, even the ski movies that people watch and used to just be you know big backcountry hucks and that's all you'd really see from it. Well, now they're doing more avalanche safety type awareness stuff in those MSP and TGR films where yep. you know they might. It might not be much, but I pick up on it every time. It's like, oh, that's cool. They mentioned that, yeah. And uh, and so I think just that little stuff gets people thinking, and you know, people come up here knowing that the mountains are bigger, or you would at least hope that they know that, yeah. And uh, and the terrain's a little different. So you know, there's a, a book up here that's real popular called The Alaska Factor, <laughs> um, written by Joe Stock. I don't know if you've heard of it, but. Um, we try to put one of those in everybody's hands that comes up in the shop from out of state. And um, a lot of them already have it, which is cool. They've ordered it online because they've done their reading and, and whatnot where, you know, we've had to ship those books out to Ohio and other, other random states. You're like, why is this person ordering this book from our web store? And then, you know, you can only think, well, they must be coming up soon. So, so they're doing their homework. They're studying the areas. Um, yeah, most people, we don't find too many that come in the shop and say, hey, where should I go skiing? You know, there's a couple a year, but they already kind of know the zones. And then apparently there's some mountain biking that happens uh, up in Alaska. You guys don't just put your pin bindings away and play cards until it starts snowing again uh, <laughs> next fall. Talk to me a bit about the the, the mountain biking scene around Girdwood or, um, or kind of Alaska in general, but I, I'm kind of have the hunch or sense that it's, it's growing. It's growing big time. There's, you know, in Girdwood itself, Girdwood needs more trails. There's a Girdwood mountain bike Alliance that was formed last year and, uh, they raised, I think about 60 grand so far from what I've heard. So we will have bike specific trails in the Valley here. Um, hmm. which is new it's always been shared trails and still is and so i think once that starts going it's going to boom um, we hope to see a whole system of trails in anchorage there's a, a phenomenal system called kincaid park and and hillside as well i mean that's where most people in anchorage will go ride and you know down for me it's it's a little different um i i do like the buffed out you know bank turns and everything and there's guys in the valley here that'll build them just on you know in the woods that only them and some friends know about and it's like a full-on downhill buffed out trail which is pretty neat but um but the mountain biking on the resort is growing as well i mean we've got we've got now about 40 mountain bikes um most of which are downhill bikes that are you know we we always maintain the crap out of them but they get beat up on our mountain. It's not, we don't have the smooth whistler trails hmm. that I hear of again, like the Japan Pat one day I'll go experience <laughs> that. But until then I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be rocking the, the trails around here that are, they're just, they're fine. I've ridden Colorado trails quite a bit. And, uh, and one day I think our mountain will be comparable to that, but you know, it's like, some of our, just like skiing, the terrain at Alieska is not for the faint of heart. However, there are options, you know, it's not like it's only for experts that yeah. you can definitely learn there. It's just, uh, there are some trails that'll blow your mind. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's growing in that way down, down in our area. My favorite riding is you go on these like 20 to 40 mile rides in middle of nowhere over these passes that are well-maintained trails and you don't see a single person. And it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, and that's the kind of riding I like It's more adventure riding. And, and that you see a lot of people getting into that up here, like free riding. You can find these, these ridge tops and just, it's just go forever. And, uh, you know, most people on that type of riding are finding trail bikes with six inch suspension front and rear as kind of the go-to. Um, so I, I'd say that's kind of the Girdwood scene. Anchorage is a totally different scene. Anchorage has, like I was saying, buffed out trails, they're riding yeah. hardtails or, you know, four inch travel bikes and, um, and enjoying that type of the sport. So what, what bikes are you demoing 
out of Powder Hound, I guess for use at Alieska. These are DH bikes, right? Yeah. Yep. DH. Uh, we've got Giant Glories and uh-huh. uh, and some Transition TR 500s. That's in the fleet right now, and uh, you know the the Giant Glory seems to just hold up to the abuse that our mountain and not that the transition won't it's just a little bit lighter frame mm-hmm. and so it notices a little more of the the beating that it takes but the the giant glories tend to just absorb a lot of the stuff that we have you know when we when we're maintaining the bikes every day when they come back we're noticing everything that's common and you know it's amazing we talk about it all the time like i cannot believe that these things have not just been thrashed you know bikes huh. that go out every day are still in great shape. And one, we maintain the, the heck out of them um, because you have to, otherwise they just do go to crap. But um, you maintain them, take a little bit of care of them. And I mean, they're not, they're not getting dinged up rims. They're not, you know, the forks aren't blowing out stuff that you would expect to see after a season or two on a bike of uh, downhill riding. This is stuff that's up here anyways. Um, we're just not seeing with that bike. Well, cool, man. Um, I do want to let you, uh, get out and go get into the mountains. Um, yeah, I appreciate the beta and it's fun just, uh, getting your take on some of this new equipment coming out and learning more about what's working up in your neck of the woods. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you filling us in a little bit about some of the nuts and bolts about spring skiing and biking around Alaska. So thanks for all of that. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you having me on the show. One thing I, you know, I didn't mention is, you know, it's always good to, if you're in the backcountry in Alaska, not a bad idea to get a guide at least for day one or two. You mm. know, there are guys around here that do that service and it's not terribly expensive and uh, it's something that can be very beneficial. They'll show you the terrain starting with maybe one climb and you say, okay, and he'll point out different peaks and, uh, and then you have kind of like this mission for the rest of your time. It's kind of like when you're learning to ski, get an instructor and then work on those techniques kind of deal. Yep. So um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to do that. There's a guy in Gerwood here, Remarkable Adventures, Nick D'Alessio. Um, he's a great backcountry guide and he's at it every single day. So, um, you know, that's that's one way to stay safe in the backcountry here is to get someone that's in the know and have them show you around at least for a day. So, yep. But uh, besides that, yeah, we're going to go ski in and uh, enjoy some of this new snow. Looks like we're going to get some blue skies, hopefully, uh, starting to clear up out there. So I hope you have a good rest of your season, though, Jonathan, and uh, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Been great to talk, and uh, we'll do it again soon. All right. Sounds All right. good. Take care, Eric. All right. See ya. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Eric Helmbrick for the conversation, and you can get in touch with him online at powderhoundak.com or go visit Powderhound right at the base of Alieska Ski Resort in Girdwood, Alaska. Thanks also to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. And if you haven't already, you might want to check out the Blister podcast we put up this week with the founders of Sago Skis, Tim and Peter Wells. You can find that conversation over on our Blister podcast feed. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you again next week.